Our passage today is uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Uh, We in our country have experienced a lack of peace over the last two uh, weeks. Uh, When George Floyd died at the hands of the police, and in the aftermath of that, the, the protests, some of them have been uh, peaceful, some of them have been violent, some uh, confrontation has existed between police officers and protesters, there's been looting, there's been stealing, there's been vandalism, there's been arson. And so uh, it is interesting that over two months ago, uh, when we put together the schedule for this series on the Beatitudes, it was slated for me to preach on uh, Matthew 5, 9, the Beatitude that says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So we'll take a look at this beatitude, the blessing that we receive through it and embodying it as we think about um, this. We, can, we have things that we can think about even in our own society today in application. We start with the fact that God is a peacemaker, the scripture refers to him in that way. For instance, Romans 15.33 says, Now the God of peace be with you all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14.33, and keep in mind that the church at Corinth had its own issues with a lack of peace, uh, the Apostle Paul says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Jesus Christ is called the Prince of Peace. Now, as we've mentioned before, uh, thinking about each beatitude that in, in broad general terms, they have application in two ways for us. One is in the future. We call that eschatology, the, the study of last things and what the Bible has to say about what it'll be like when Jesus Christ returns. And then the other way that we apply the beatitude is wisdom, that God gives us wisdom to live in this life. And as we embody the beatitude, it is wisdom that we would do so. First, we'll look at the fact that this has reference to eschatology. We go back to the the prophets, um, and we find that there was a, a problem, a primary problem, um, with a lack of peace, and that lack of peace was between us and God. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Now that was true for Israel in that environment, and it's true for every human being. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. By reference, by, um, uh, because of our sin, our sin is a sign of hostility towards God. You may not think that, but in reality, as you violate God's commands in Scripture, it is a sign of your spirit and your heart, that you are living contrary in hostility toward God. And so there is a remedy that was was prophesied in Isaiah. 
In Isaiah 53, verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, there would be one who would come that would bridge, that would reconcile, that would bring peace between God and man. And God came in the form of Jesus Christ, took on flesh to reconcile us to himself. Even though we were at enmity with God, we demonstrated our hostility towards God. God took the step of coming and doing everything necessary to bring peace between us and him. So Romans chapter 5, 1 says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace by means of justification. That is, we're declared right and perfect in his sight. And so let me just say that the, that the application that is most important for you and for me today is, first and foremost, do you have peace with God? Uh, have, has the hostility in your heart um, uh, gone away in the sense that you now repent, that you come to him and you say, I admit that I have lived in a way that's contrary to your will in opposition to you, and I confess this, and I turn from it, and I trust in Jesus that he took the, the just punishment that I deserved on the cross. That's why he came, to take that for you. And when you place your faith in him, that you are reckoned, you're counted as right in God's sight. God can't simply overlook sin. He takes your sin seriously, but he loves you and is reconciling you to himself through Jesus Christ. If you would repent of your sins and trust in him and know what it means to have peace with God. Now, when you believe and for all eternity. So we have reconciliation by faith in the reconciler. And that reconciliation we have with God brings reconciliation to us as his people. And we read of that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. In fact, there's some of the language here is the closest language that we find to our beatitude today. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility and he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We 
have a common reconciler. We've been reconciled together by Jesus Christ. In the context of Ephesians chapter 2, he's speaking of Jews, uh, the Jewish uh, people that had, had the covenants of God delivered to them. In the rest of humanity, the Gentiles were separated, and so God has brought us all together, regardless of ethnicity, in faith in Jesus Christ. We have a common reconciler, and we have a common spirit, the spirit of God that dwells within us, and the spirit of God uh, has no um, skin tone or color. He's not black or white. He's not rich or poor. And so whatever our ethnicity, whatever our status, whatever uh, any, any kind of designations we might place on us in this life, uh, true as they may be, um, we have a unity as people who are reconciled in Jesus Christ. We have that common bond, and we also have the common spirit. We each have the spirit of God, a gift for those who know Christ. And so God has reconciled us and brought peace to his people through Jesus Christ. Now, I spoke of eschatology and what God will do in the future, and there's a sense in that's true of Jesus. There was a prophecy that Jesus would come, and he did come. And so for the reality is for us today that if we believe we have peace with God, and we can have peace with each other. Objectively, we have peace, and we should extend that sense of commonality with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, but there's something that we look forward to in the future, a, a peace that is yet to come and is yet to be fulfilled, and our God desires and will bring about that peace. And in the Old Testament, that peace is called shalom. And there's a prophecy related to Shalom. And one of the ways that Shalom will be manifested when Jesus Christ returns again is there will be the cessation of conflict and hostility. In Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4, we read, He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation." neither shall they learn war anymore. So shall it be when Jesus Christ returns, he will bring about peace, he will bring about shalom, and there will be no war anymore. Another way that he will bring about peace and shalom is through justice. We read this in Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come one, come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth." And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. There will be justice brought to bear by those who, um, it, by Jesus Christ when he returns. Justice is getting what you deserve. Justice, the person who is, um, who is offended, a person who maybe somebody steals something from them or 
maybe kills somebody in their family. They want justice. They want uh, a, a just judgment against the perpetrator of the crime, that they would get what they would deserve. There will come a time when Jesus will come and he will bring about justice throughout the whole earth. Justice happens in that way, and it also happens in another way. Getting what you deserve means that you don't get more than you deserve uh, in terms of a punishment. Um, The statement in Scripture, an eye for an eye, uh, is much maligned, and yet in the uh, ancient Near East, uh, what you had before that standard was not an eye for an eye, but you had uh, your head would be taken off for an eye. So justice also means that the punishment fits the crime and doesn't extend beyond what a person should get for the crime that they commit. Christ will come and justice will reign. We read uh, of that here in this passage. And then thirdly, shalom, peace, in the Bible also, it, it means wholeness. There's a sense of thriving There's a lack of deprivation that will come when Christ returns. We won't lack anything anymore. And we read of this in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 6. Behold, I will bring to it health and healing, and I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance to them, abundance of prosperity. That word prosperity is shalom and security. The NIV translation of the Bible says, I will reveal to them the abundance, uh, abundant peace. And so uh, as Isaiah eleven six also prophesies, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den, and they shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the, of the Lord as waters cover the sea. So we look forward to that time when Christ returns. We have the cessation of conflict. We have a a time when justice will prevail uh, perfectly and where deprivation will uh, go away. And all those who are the children of God, the believers in Jesus Christ, will experience that. And we have sort of a summary of that in the book of Revelation Revelation chapter 21, that it speaks of this reality, and it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. Now, God has reconciled us to himself through Christ, and we experience that reconciliation and that presence now, but we so look forward. We look forward to when we're going to meet together just as a congregation. What will it be like when in fullness we dwell with God and he with us, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Ah, peace, shalom, God is going to bring it about. He is a God of peace. And so we come to our passage today. This is all background on understanding blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. 
So how is it that you become a, a son of God or a child of God? Uh, you, you don't earn it. You don't deserve it. As we found out through our Beatitudes up to this point, we have to understand that we're spiritually impoverished, that we are sinful and we fall short of righteousness, uh, that we come uh, with, with hearts that are undivided. And part of that means without guile, we admit uh, where we're at uh, before the Lord. And so we don't come uh, and say, I've earned my way into your family. No, we come by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But if you do, then you exhibit the family likeness. And that's what we see here. You'll be called sons of God because you exhibit the peacemaking likeness of our peacemaking God. We read of the reality that we're called the sons of God because we uh, demonstrate some of the character of God. Jesus said in Luke 6.35, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expect, expecting nothing in return, and your, your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Why? For he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. And in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Why? For he makes his son rise on evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And so those who like their father in heaven uh, demonstrate a peacemaking heart, a peacemaking reality, are designated, they're called, they're blessed with the designation sons of God. Now you might think, well, what's so great about being blessed with a name? Well, it's a very, it's a very, um, it's a very honored status. I mean, in the Bible, there's a lot about being called by a name. We remember Jesus, uh, Joseph was told, and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. There's a, there's a, a in that name uh, is wrapped up the reality of who Jesus would be. And not all naming in the Bible is positive. I think back to the Old Testament, uh, uh, what we would consider to be an unusual uh, law in the Old Testament related to what's called leveret marriage. I'm not going to go into all the details related to leveret marriage, but suffice it to say, it worked like this, that if a if a, a man was married and he passed away, uh, his brother should help the, his brother's family, uh, his deceased brother's family, by uh, providing for a continuation of the family name. And if he did not do that, then there was a ceremony that was to take place. And this is how the ceremony went. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face, and she shall answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off, right? So from that point forward, they shall be called the person who shirked his responsibility in taking care of his brother. Not a good name. But those who are peacemakers shall be called the sons of God. 
Jesus Christ, we quoted this before at the outset, I think of Handel's Messiah. I'll say it like that. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He shall be called Prince of Peace. And if you, like the Prince of Peace, are peacemakers, you shall be called the sons of God. So my question for you today is, are you a peacemaker or are you a troublemaker? Now, maybe you're neither, right? Maybe you don't really make trouble, but maybe you don't make peace either. I think of the song. I want to paraphrase the song. It said, Lord, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Well, it doesn't begin with me. It's already begun. Uh, God has already accomplished it, but let there be peace on earth, and may I, may I play a part in it. May that be our prayer. So how is it that we make peace? Peacemaking starts with the church. It starts with the people of God, and it expands outward. Now we turn from things in the future and blessings in the future to today, and the wisdom that is found embodied uh, for us today in peacemaking and in receiving the designation sons of God as peacemakers. There's wisdom in peacemaking. We see that in the book of James, chapter 3, verse 13. I'm going to read a relatively long passage about wisdom and then summarize it. So um, pay attention as I read. Who is wise and understanding among you by his, by his good conduct. Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And then James finishes this section by saying, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. There's, there's wisdom here that we do not make peace. In fact, we make conflict uh, when there is jealousy and selfish ambition, chapter 3, verse 16 of James, it leads to disorder. And instead, we are to be gentle and open to reason and impartial. And in fact, when, when conflict touches you, when you're in conflict or when you're tempted uh, to uh, be in conflict, that's when you can be a peacemaker. It's real easy to think of yourselves as a peaceable person and a peacemaker when, they're, when you're not personally involved. It's when that selfishness, when, you're, when you take it personally and ambition and, and, and self-centeredness comes into sway that we both are challenged with peacemaking and have the opportunity for peacemaking. You know, uh, you've probably watched some NFL football and... Um, and there is, on occasion, you'll find completely removed from a play on the field. You know, sometimes there's a big hit and, and people kind of um, might uh, have a problem with that. You know, one player may uh, uh, 
kind of punch another player because of a hit. But there are times when completely devoid of any action. In fact, there can be two players on the line of scrimmage, um, and one player all of a sudden just moves forward and pushes and punches the other player. And you know what's going on. There's been trash talking. And somebody has crossed the line. I don't know if somebody's talked about their mama or what they've done, but, uh, but they've crossed the line, and it's, it's ended in conflict. Now, as spectators in the stands or people at home, it's easy for us, even if we've got an allegiance to a particular team, to simply say, oh, now, now, um, you two just get along. And uh, it's easy for us to say that. But when it touches us personally, that's when we have the ability to be peacemakers instead of troublemakers. You know, this past week, uh, watching the events that were taking place, um, and some of them very disturbing, um, and there's one point in particular uh, where I became vocal in my house, and that was when the church across from the White House uh, was set on fire. And um, now why was that? Uh, As a pastor, I felt personally connected to that incident Um, And it would be easy for me to say that I had righteous indignation about that. But in reality, I had to stop myself and say, why is it that I'm reacting in particular to this event? Because I took it personally. So where there is selfish ambition and jealousy, it leads to disorder. Instead, we are to be gentle, open to reason, impartial. One way to maintain the peace is to keep your mouth shut. We read this in James, some more wisdom from the book of James. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear and slow to speak. We are tempted to fire off that email, to to, um, unleash a tweet storm, um, to put that Facebook post up. And then James goes on to say in the same verse, man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness, God's righteousness of peacemaking or otherwise. This is the whole verse together. This you know, my beloved brethren, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about God's righteousness. Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 10:19 says, "When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent." Now, I am not going to claim as a um, as a white pastor to have the solution uh, to the difficulties related to racism in our country, but I will just say this as a as an encouragement to you, congregation of First Presbyterian Church. Uh, There's a way that you can uh, be uh, slow to speak and quick to listen. And one application is find uh, somebody uh, of of another color, if you're white, somebody who's black, and ask them what their perspective is on what's going on, what's gone on the last two weeks. And just listen. Now, I'm not saying that your perspective is wrong and their perspective is right, but what I'm saying is be slow to speak and be quick to listen. And maybe it is time to speak. 
But if it is time to speak, first pause and then pray and ask, would these words be helpful and bring about peace? You see, you can say the truth and you can even do the truth in a way that is unhelpful and doesn't promote peace. You say, Pastor, how can that be? I mean, what I have said is just the truth. Well, let me give you an example. Let's just say your spouse comes to you and says, you forgot my birthday yesterday. And your response is, well, you forgot to take out the trash yesterday. Both of those statements may be true, but your response, while it's true, is not helpful. So we need God's wisdom to say what needs to be said in the way that it needs to be said in a wise way to bring about peace. Another way that we are called to be peacemakers like God and to demonstrate uh, what it means to be a child of God is to seek not only the cessation of conflict, but positive justice. And so we live in a country where we have the ability to be engaged in the political process, where we can vote, uh, we can run for political office, we, can, uh, we have free speech, we can verbalize um, our desires to our, our public officials and, and seek uh, justice. Remember, the definition of justice is uh, getting what you deserve, that, that irrespective of race or whether somebody is poor or rich or any other variable, that justice uh, should be served in this country. And so we are to seek justice, just like our God will bring about justice, and it's important to him uh, that we have that same heart, and whatever we are able to do, we do to bring about justice. Another way that we do peacemaking, like our God, and we are children of uh, our Heavenly Father, is by helping people thrive, uh, by uh, alleviating um, their the things that they're deprived of, of food and uh, maybe even comfort, and we start again with the church. We start with our people. We seek to help people that have uh, financial needs and needs for, for food and, and other needs. And then we extend out into our community. We extend out to our neighbors. And as we've noted that since the hurricane, one of the silver linings, if you might say, is that we've gotten to know our neighbors better. What needs do your neighbors have? They may have uh, needs for uh, food, but they may just have a need for prayer. They may have need for encouragement. And the only way that you'll know what those needs are is if you, um, you talk to them, you dialogue with them, you ask them um, what it is that they need. We, as a church, First Presbyterian Church, God uh, has our building downtown. We have... Um, we have prayed about it and decided we will rebuild downtown and we will ask God to use us in that area. And so what about our neighbors in the area of downtown Panama City? We have lots of opportunities. There's so much diversity there. We have um, the power brokers are downtown. We have people that are powerful. We have people that are relatively not powerful. We have uh, black, we have white, we have Hispanic, we have various races just in the downtown area, and we need to get to know our neighbors and to find out how we can help them, um, help them with some of the needs that they might have. Just as God 
seeks to bring about thriving, shalom, so we also bring about peace in this way in our peacemakers. We also need to be honest in our peacemaking. You know, um, it is hard work to be a peacemaker because we have to, for the most part, address uh, the causes of conflict head on. It is true, as Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And Proverbs 19, 11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. And we do have that peacemaking heart that seeks to not over-dramatize slight problems that people um, have caused us. On the other hand, there are serious issues that need to be resolved. That's true in your family. That's true as a church. You know, so many of these applications in the New Testament were related to the church. The church needed to learn peacemaking first. And we need to be willing to spend the time, talk to people, admit our concerns where necessary, repent, uh, ask for forgiveness, um, and, and deal with that. You know, I have a friend at one point um, in our friendship, he, uh, he did something that, um, that I was not happy with, and he knew it. And so he immediately came to me and he said, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Well, he knew that was the language he was supposed to use. It was like the mantra, right? You know, it puts it back on me. But I sensed that that's all it was, that there was no owning of what he had done. He was simply trying to get past the problem. And so I said, well, let's talk about it. So we had to talk it through and get to the point where we were able able to address the issue. We need to do that personally in our lives with our loved ones, with our uh, people in our church, and in broader people in our community if we have offended uh, or if they have offended us. um, How can we bring about true reconciliation Um, It takes hard work to do that, and it takes honesty. First and foremost, we need the Prince of Peace. And so let me return to that. Do you know the Prince of Peace? Has the Prince of Peace come into your life? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you confessed your sins to him? Have you admitted that you are, by your your, um, violating God's word, by not doing the right thing, that you have lived in opposition to God, and you don't want that. You want to be reconciled to God, and you confess your sins, and you turn from them, and you trust that Jesus has purchased your way into God's good graces, and that justice has been satisfied for you. As I said, God doesn't simply overlook sin. One of the rallying cries, not only in America, but around the world, uh, in, in the in the aftermath of um, George Floyd's death has been no justice, no peace. Well, here's the sense in which it is true for us when it comes to Jesus Christ. We will not have peace with God if the justice of God has not been satisfied because God is a just God and he does delight in justice. But his justice was satisfied in Jesus Christ. And so if you are to know peace, if you're to experience peace with God, then 
take the justice that he has provided for you. Jesus has taken that on the cross and trust in him. And then finally, if you're going to be a peacemaker, that message of peacemaking uh, needs, to be, needs to be told to the whole world. It needs to be told to our community. It needs to be told uh, to your neighborhood. That is, what does it profit if we do have justice to a certain degree now, but people are left without justice for eternity? You know, there's some sobering words at the, book, at the end of the book of Revelation, and it, and it says this, let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Now, what is John saying here? He's saying that at the end of the book of Revelation, that until Jesus Christ returns, that things are not going to be all right, that we're still going to have injustice, we're still going to have sin, we're still going to have crime. Uh, But we become peacemakers, um, and we pray that God would help us move our, our our families, in our church, in our society, in a more and more peaceful way. At the same time, we understand that that is not going to be fulfilled in perfection until Jesus Christ returns. And we want everybody to experience the total shalom, the total peace, peace with God, and the peace that will be experienced by those who are the sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ so the prophecy, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, shalom, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And so we wait for Christ to come and bring about that peace, but we announce it. And we share it with our neighbors. And we ask God more and more to transform us that we might show the family resemblance to our Father in heaven. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God.